Welcome to the Grace Monroe Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Monroe, Georgia, that exists to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. For more information about our church, visit graceformonroe.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this week's message. That song, it's the first time I've, I've actually heard that song. It's beautiful. You are enough. You're enough. That's exactly where we're going this morning, this question of who is Jesus? I have, uh, as you even process that question, even right now, just as we're kind of, you know, coming out of that song and into, into God's word. If I was to ask this kind of equation question for you personally, just, I mean, just sit there, even just close your eyes and ask this question. Jesus plus what equals enough? Jesus plus what? Like, if we're really just honest, I, I, we, we know the answer, right? Like, Jesus plus nothing is everything. I mean, Jesus plus nothing, I, I mean, he is the substance, the fullness of our faith. He's enough, but just in your own heart, as you just process, even just this past week, before we get into God's word, kind of just reflect back as we, so that we can move forward. Think about your anxieties. Think of the things that have stressed you out. What you're most excited about right now. Jesus plus what equals enough. And I think God's invitation for us this morning is that in our souls, we could rest in the reality that Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus is enough. If everything else fell apart, if we lost everything, if, th- if everything we were excited about did not come to pass, Jesus is enough. So you're going to want your Bibles this morning. We're going to open up to the book of Colossians, where we've been the last few weeks, and we'll be for a few more weeks. This letter Paul wrote to a little church in a small town called Colossae that still speaks just as loudly to a little church in a small town today, 2,000 years later, Monroe, Georgia, 2021. So we'll be in chapter 2 and starting in verse 6. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. See, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. 
with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. I mean, these are just a shadow of the things that were to come. You see, the reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. You see, such a person, they go into great detail about what they've seen and their unspiritual mind. It puffs them up with these idle notions. It's a lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. You see, these are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, they, I mean, they have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body. You see, they actually lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We'll pause right there. In fact, I don't feel like I even need to really preach. I mean, Paul just did it for us. It's an amazing passage about what it means to be in Christ. And Paul, his concern, his passion is that they would be built into maturity, into the fullness of God in Jesus. In fact, just before this passage, uh, Paul says that, he says, we proclaim him, this is the end of chapter one, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. That word perfect isn't just like straight A's on your report card or a spotless house. The word perfect actually means whole, complete. Like, that Paul's desire is that you would be brought to wholeness, fullness, completeness, maturity in Jesus. That you could live the fullness of life that God always intended for you to live. Holy alive. That's, that's the meaning of eternal life. We realize that, right? Like eternal life isn't just something that begins when we die. Eternal life is the reality of God's eternal nature. Eternity doesn't have a beginning or an end. It's not like, okay, if I die on that year, that's eternity begins that year. No, eternal life is this eternal thing, this eternal way of living, the kingdom of God that always has been, always will be, that we enter into an awareness and the presence of through Jesus, even right now. And yes, we exist in a, in a broken, sinful, struggling world that is yearning, groaning for the fullness of God's presence to, to wipe away every trace of sin. The, the day that will, there will be no more tears or suffering or death. But even now, God is bringing us into the awareness of his fullness. It says, Jesus prayed, Lord, let your will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Let it be like heaven now, God, as we wait for the day that you bring it to fulfillment, when all things are the way that you desire them. 
And so Paul is saying, I'm yearning. And actually that word there uh, for that yearning, that struggling, it's the Greek word agon, which is where we get our word agony. In other words, he's like, I'm in agony. I am in pain. I am struggling for you to be brought to maturity, to fullness. And honestly, I mean, this is where like the Lord had me, I mean, we'll continue on through too, but on a very personal level, what God is bringing me back to just as, as your pastor and, and discipling a group of men and with my own children and my family is what does it mean to, to truly be agonizing that the relationships that I have would be brought to the fullness of maturity in Christ? I mean, we get a glimpse of that, right? As those of you who are parents, you know what it is to agonize over your children being brought to maturity, don't you? And that can be just the, the pain of the repeated failure. You're like, are you kidding? You did what again? But also just that longing, that desire to see them become the little people that God made them to be. You get glimpses of it. I can remember at times watching, especially with my girls as they've grown up and, and seeing just the, the beautiful, unique creature that God made them and just seeing so much in their life, so much potential, so much beauty. I mean, these incredible little people and then hearing them say something about themselves like, I'm so stupid. Oh, I'm ugly. I'm fat. These things they speak over and it's like pain of, do you not see yourself? The way that I see you. Do you not, design, can you not get a glimpse of the things that I want for you? And I feel like God looked at all of us as his sons and daughters, Paul getting the same heart for his people that God had for his people. And say, I, I'm agonizing that you would be brought to the fullness of maturity in Christ. Toiling, struggling for your growth. And where does that maturity come from? I mean, he says, he gives these four pictures of life. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. And how do we receive Christ Jesus as Lord? By grace. Undeserved mercy. And so Paul is saying that we live and grow and mature by grace just as we were saved by grace. It's not like grace is just simply this, the forgiveness of sin. And then at that point, you better earn your place in the kingdom. No, it's all grace. The maturity, the growth, the moving towards wholeness and the freedom. That grace doesn't just free us from a life of sin. It actually empowers us to live a life of wholeness and freedom. That grace isn't just about the forgiveness of sins. Grace is about the fullness of life. Dallas Willard wrote uh, in his book, The Great Omission, says that the true saint burns grace like a 747 jet burns fuel on takeoff. Grace wasn't just something we received when we recognized Christ as Savior, confessed our sins and received his forgiveness. Grace is what we continue to live in every day from that moment on. 
So Paul gives these four pictures of this life of grace that we'd be rooted in him. And actually this first uh, of these four expressions that we're rooted is in the, the perfect tense in the Greek. In other words, what that means is that it's the result of an action that was completed in the past. So this idea of being rooted in him isn't something that is happening. It's not something that we're making happen. Instead, it is a reality that God did when Jesus adopted us as sons and daughters. When, when he forgave us of our sins, he rooted us in his love. It's like he took us as this plant and he put us in the soil so that our roots could grow. And, and this reminder that, we are, that he is the one that's doing that work in us. It is not something that we are making happen. It is something that we are receiving. In fact, all three of those first ones rooted and built up and strengthened are all in the passive t- voice. In other words, they're things that are happening to us, not things that we are making happen. It's image of being rooted in Christ. It echoes Jeremiah's blessing. If you want to write down in your Bible right next to that, Jeremiah 17, 8. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. He does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. God brought us into this place of being rooted into his presence, rooted into his kind of life. And as we receive that grace, walk in that grace, mature in that grace, as Jeremiah's promise that's coming true in Jesus. It doesn't matter what the circumstances and the seasons do around us. We, our hearts, our souls are rooted in one that cannot be shaken. At peace, at rest, in the one who is with us and for us and loves us no matter what is going on around us. But he continues on, we're rooted in him and then we're built up by him. So he moves from this image of of a plant being established in a garden to a building being constructed by Jesus. I love that image that, that he is the one that is building us up because it implies that we are all still works under construction. Amen. That none of us have arrived yet, that the, the great builder of our souls, the, the, the restorer of our hearts is constantly at work. He is the one building us up. We're not yet finished products, but we're strengthened in the faith, rooted, built, strengthened. And it's interesting because it's this idea of being strengthened in faith. The way that's worded, it could mean one of two things, and actually I think it means both. One is that it's faith that strengthens us, and two, that as we're strengthened, we have more faith. And the image that, I was, that came to mind as I was studying this is, is Peter, when he jumps in the boat to go walk, I mean, sorry, out of the boat to go walk on the water, right? It, like, so by faith, he jumped into the water. It was Jesus that he was trusting in. But then even in the action of trusting Jesus, even in his struggle and as he began to fall and Jesus is the one that raises him back up in the, in the, the weakness and the failure of his own faith, that, that Jesus, by that experience of faith with Jesus, his strength was now stronger on the other side. So it's faith that gives us strength, but it's also when we exercise faith that we are strengthened. Every time, 
you take the smallest step of faith forward with God. He tells you to go have that conversation, to apologize, to receive forgiveness. You receive a new identity. You go talk to a neighbor or a coworker. You start working with an eighth grade D group. You start studying your Bible with your five-year-old. Everything, every act of obedience, every act of faith, God, I don't know how to do this. I'm scared. I'm nervous. All right, but we'll go. We'll try. And we walk in. We take that little step forward. Go here. Make this phone call. Write this letter. Have this conversation. See, oftentimes we expect God's desire for obedience and these acts of faith that he calls us to, to be these giant burning bush moments. Pick up your family and move to China. And sometimes that happens, but often even those big burning bush moments are the result of a whole lot of small faithful steps through the desert. And even right now, just to pause, so it's not just an interesting idea. What's the last thing that Jesus asked you to do? That sense that this is the right thing. To go, to apologize, to talk, to pursue, to start something, to stop something. Wake up earlier. Go to bed sooner. Make a phone call. We timed that perfectly. You nailed it. And every time we do, the strength for the next act of faith is even greater. Like I said, all three of those commands or those three descriptions, they're passive. In other words, these are the things that, like Paul's reminding him, this is what God is doing for you. Wake up to it. Open yourself up to it. He has rooted you. He is building you up and he is strengthening you. The fourth one is actually the only one written in the active voice. And this is what you do. Give thanks. Isn't that an amazing kind of uh, contract job description that, that Paul is laying out for us as believers? Here's what the company is going to do for you. All you got to do, just say thanks. That's our role. I mean, everything that God is doing so that we are being built to maturity, to wholeness, all the things that God is, is putting into our soul, the way that he's, he's rooting us and building us up, strengthening us, moving us to completeness, and his expectation of us is simply thanks. God, thank you. And actually the clearest mark of a disciple of Christ is a heart of gratitude. God, thank you for your blessings. God, thank you for the things that you've surrounded me with. Thank you for the opportunities. Thank you for the things that you've done. Thank you for that time that I was completely lost and you showed up for me. Thank you for the time that I totally rebelled against you and you didn't give up on me. God, thank you for the people you've brought into my life. Thank you for the way that you provided. And these eyes that are open to the ever-present, constant, consistent blessings of God in our lives. That is Jesus' only ask. Thanks. Thank you, God. And there is something about that posture of gratitude that actually opens our hearts up to the other three. 
There's something about the, re the realization of the consistent, constant, and miraculous blessings of God in our lives that roots us a little deeper, that builds us up a little bit more, that strengthens us a little bit further. So Paul gives this encouragement and this ad admonition, and then, at the, and then he continues on. And, you know, he's, he's not just writing a theological treatise. Like, that's not what this is about. He's not like, okay, here's a, here, here's a Bible study lesson for a seminary. I need to get these guys prepared. No, it, this is a, a heartfelt letter to a people just like us, probably about as many people in this room, maybe, gathered in somebody's living room, a very personal lesson a letter to people that are struggling with their own family issues and job issues and concerns and fears. And so Paul is aware, this is what I want for you. This is what I'm struggling for. What I'm agonizing over is that you would be brought to this mature, full life, the freedom of Christ, not weighed down back into the baggage of sin, not lost in the ways of this world. But he also is very aware that in the midst of all the things that God is doing, that there was this sort of creeping poison that was making its way into that little church, that there were these other forces at work waiting to take them hostage. In fact, the, the literal word there that, that Paul uses is, is to be kidnapped. He says, see it too, that no one takes you captive, that no one kidnaps you through hollow and deceptive philosophy. So what's he talking about? Well, in that context, the word philosophy wasn't just like a, you know, a major at a liberal arts college. It, it's not just simply as we define it now, like the study of reason and thinking and meaning. Instead, philosophy was any system or way of thought. It, it was it was best term I could think of is groupthink. It, it's any like model. <clears throat> it, it's any paradigm. It's any practice or psychology. It's any sort of way of thinking that is of the world that is not of God. And at the time, there are entire clubs and memberships built around different philosophies, different ways of, of thinking, of seeing the world. And Paul's saying, listen, you've been brought into Christ who is the fullness of God. All the wisdom and mystery of this world is revealed in Jesus. He is all you need. There's nothing you need to add to your life to experience the eternal way of living. So don't let people kidnap you by these other ways of thinking. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in the Old Testament, that word fullness referred to God's presence. So in Jesus, all the presence of God lives. And so Paul's saying, man, presence over philosophy. The presence of God. And he explains where, how we are able to enter into that presence of what God has done. That we are in Christ, that we've been buried with him in baptism, that the old life is gone, that we've been raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. That God has made us alive with Christ, having forgiven us all of our sin. 
that these things no longer have authority over our lives. The old is gone, that the new has come, that, that Jesus has taken all of these things that had, had an authority over our lives, these accusations and this guilt and this baggage, and he nailed it to the cross. Those things don't have to define us anymore. Fear, shame, guilt, accusation, blame. They have no more place in our lives because of Jesus. Paul recognizes as he's writing to this living room of believers wrestling through what it means to follow Jesus in their world just like we do. He's reminding them, hey, listen, there was a point when you realized that the way that you were thinking, the way that you were living was apart from God. In fact, it was self-destructive. And this sin that separated you from God, the places, the ways that you fell short of the life that he intended for you, that he wants to save you from that. And so Jesus, God in the flesh, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and he hung on the cross, was sacrificed for your sin, for my sin. And there was a moment in your life, he's writing to these young believers, that, that you realized that your sin, it was killing you, and that the consequences of your sin was death. Yes, death for eternity, but even death right now. Death in your relationships, death in your soul, death in your heart, that we live in a world of death because of our sin. We are separated from God. But God knew that. And so he was willing to take the penalty. He was willing to, to substitute his life on our behalf. He gave his perfect blood shed on the cross so that our imperfect blood could be raised back to life in him. And that Jesus didn't stay dead. He didn't just simply cancel our sin, but he also then rose from the dead. And in the same way that, that we receive the forgiveness of the cross, he restores us to life. The old is gone, the new has come. You were dead, but now you are alive. You were guilty, but now you're forgiven. You were ashamed, but now there's no condemnation. You were captive and a slave to these desires that warred within you, but now you've been set free. Do not forget what God has done for you. And there may be someone in this room, and surely in the, the living room that Paul was writing to, that, that, that as they sat and listened, were thinking, I don't know that. I've never received that or experienced that. When I look at my life, I, all I see is the brokenness and the baggage, the fear and the shame. And so there's this invitation from God to receive his grace, the forgiveness of his sins to recognize that our sin has separated us from God, but that Jesus took care of it on the cross to receive his forgiveness. So even right now, that invitation, that eternal invitation still stands. Do you know Jesus? Have you received his forgiveness? Has he brought you into new life? And if not, even right now, that prayer be, that confession, 
God, I need you. I can't do this life on my own. I receive your forgiveness. I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. I surrender to you as my King. And it's in that place of grace that God invites us to continue with him into life. And so Paul makes it clear, this is what Jesus has done for you. This is what Jesus is doing for you. Don't replace relationship with religion. So he says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or the religious festivals that you celebrate. See, when the focus becomes about rules and rituals, not on relationship, it has become religion. (laughs) I heard this great quote. Religion is a man in church thinking about fishing. Relationship is a man fishing thinking about Jesus. See, religion is about what I have to do. Relationship is about what I get to do. Relationship is about what I can't do. Relationship is about what I choose not to do. Religion is about correction. Relationship is about connection. And the reality is this doesn't take away, sometimes you can hear that phrase, that Jesus is about relationship, not about religion. And then that just kind of is used as an excuse, like a license, so then I can just live however I want. All Jesus cares about is that we're happy and we have a relationship. That's actually not a relationship. Like, I don't cheat on Sadie just because I have a ring, well, it's tattooed, but I have a ring on my finger and a marriage certificate. I don't cheat on Sadie because she's my wife and we have a relationship. And religion actually never moves us towards sanctification, towards holiness. Religion doesn't move us towards repentance. In fact, those things can only really happen in the context of relationship. Romans 2, 4, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Relationship doesn't bring about holiness, or religion doesn't bring about holiness, relationship does. Because religion is about a set of rules and external standards. These things that I either try to prove or to show off, to prove, like, to prove to myself or to God or to others that I'm okay. Relationship is about a heart connection with God that in response to what God has done for me, I now live out of that place. I mean, Jesus is very clear, John 14, that if you love me, you will obey what I command. And those who obey me are the ones who love me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I choose to do right because... I love, and I love because I was first loved by him. And so even as you examine your own heart and your experience with God and with Jesus and with church, how much of it is about behavior and about religion, about ritual and doing right out of obligation, about measuring up to some kind of external standard? then how much of your experience with Jesus is about relationship and intimacy and connection? And Paul says later, don't let people put these things on you. These superstitions and these practices, they're, they're just a shadow. 
but now you've received the substance. So what does relationship look like? Relationship requires time. And relationship desires attention. I mean, Jesus is clear, abide in me, make your home in me, and I will make my home in you. Jesus wants your heart. He wants your attention. Not just your good behavior and your attendance. I, I wrote down, Jesus wants our eyes. And what that comes out of is that... Uh, Sadie and I, we monthly, we do our marriage check-in. We have our marriage counseling appointment. And one, uh, one of them realized it's like that in my mind, we could spend all day together and we're connected. And I was actually just pretty confused how we could spend all day together. And at the end of the day, her not feel like we've been together. It's like, but wait, we ran errands. We worked in the yard. We went to soccer games and realized like she wants my eyes. She wants my attention. She wants me to look at her and to be with her, not just to be beside her. In the same way, Jesus wants your eyes. He wants your heart. He wants to download into you what he wants for you, what he thinks about you. That's relationship. Relationship looks like play. How are we inviting Jesus into our play into celebration and gratitude and thanksgiving. And relationship looks like help. It's a child learning to tie their shoe and mom or dad walking them through the process. A teenager who is struggling with their math homework and a teacher or a mentor coming alongside of them. Let me teach you, let me show you. Those are easy analogies for us to get about relationship when it comes to humans. But what about you on your first day on the job? Or when you have to go have a difficult, difficult conversation with a, a coworker? Or when your child gets a driver's license? Or you bring that baby home from the hospital? Or when you show up in your apartment for the first time after the honeymoon? Jesus, teach me, show me. What do you want me to know? How do I do this? Jesus desires relationship, not religion. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up. As we come back to that beginning, Is Jesus enough? And where are the places in our lives that Jesus is wanting to restore relationship? Even right now, I just invite you to close your eyes and just invite God to search your heart and just ask him, Lord, is there any place that my connection to you has become more about 
religion than relationship. Where are you inviting me back into connection and intimacy with you? And maybe even right now to just receive again the grace that he shows you, that he loves you, he forgives you. He is for you and he is with you. He has never given up on you. And there is nothing that this world can provide that can ever measure up to what he has for you. Can you receive his grace this morning? So Lord, we thank you that you have rooted us in your love, that you are building us up in you. You're strengthening our faith. And so we give you thanks. God, will you guard our lives and our hearts and our minds? Will you guard our church and this community from the ways that religion, empty practices and philosophies, worldly ways of thinking wants to creep in and distort and distract us from you? Fix our minds back on you, God. Fix our hearts on you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Once again, our mission at Grace Monroe is to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, go to graceformonroe.com connect. Also, if you felt blessed by our ministry and want to partner with us financially, everything you need to know about giving is online at graceformonroe.com give. We hope you have a wonderful week. Be blessed.